Hey there, I'm Breezy. Welcome to Breezy Lifestyle. This real and super helpful series is called From Struggle to Success. I bridge a majorly helpful gap and I bravely share my real life struggles and show how neuroscience and psychology tools absolutely create a better life for all of us without prescription medication. We discover the power within ourselves and how to shape the world around us as we need it for a lifetime. Through the foundation of science and my real life, I show how you can turn any struggle into an absolute success without totally having to change who you are. It's all about making better choices every day to feel better as to then live better for a lifetime. I took back control of my life and so can you. Welcome to From Struggle to Success. PTSD and CPTSD are the result of experiencing intense negative experiences, even just once in life. Trauma is not just about childhood or war. Trauma is about embodying a fear response after an intensely negative experience. Children who are exposed to abuse and trauma may develop what is called a heightened stress response. This can impact the ability to regulate emotions, it can lead to sleep difficulties, lower immune function, manifest as codependency and people-pleasing in adulthood, and increase the risk of a number of physical illnesses throughout adulthood and your long, long life. Many people living with trauma and the fear response face immune system impairment, headaches, fatigue, poor health, autoimmune disorders, and pain symptoms. A nervous system and brain stuck on high alert creates struggles with anxiety and worry in daily life. Trauma also results in feeling disconnected and being unable to relate to others. I know this firsthand. Today we are laying out part one of trauma. The next few weeks are entirely dedicated to trauma, healing from trauma, what is trauma and how it changes us internally and tries to control us externally, PTSD and CPTSD, which is complex trauma, trauma and fear responses, which we definitely cover today, how trauma manifests in maladaptive ways in adulthood, controlling your life outcome regardless of your past life experience, and the effects of long-term stress, fear, and trauma on our mind and body. So we are covering everything that is trauma. Today is all about what is trauma, the difference between trauma, fear, and stress, how trauma lives in our body, aka the science of trauma, how trauma impacts our self-belief and the narrative we carry in life every day, what trauma looks like as a manifestation to live with in adulthood. So basically, what does trauma mean for us after it happens? We first have to get to know the mechanisms of trauma before we can use our life tools to transform and repair from trauma. And that is why today we can't talk about how to heal from trauma because first we need to absolutely come to understand it, especially if it is something that we experience and or deeply live with every single day. So moving forward, 
let's get into all that is what is trauma and the difference between fear and stress. Over the years, trauma has become a blanket term for negatively impactful experiences in life. Trauma, fear, and stress may be confused together as they can feel quite similar. Before getting into the meat, fat, and juice of trauma, we first need to clear up what is fear, stress, and of course, trauma. Taking a look at fear first, fear falls into a category of nervous system phenomenon that we can reliably call an emotion. The definition of emotions is continually debated, but soon we will see what makes up an emotion and how fear qualifies as one. Think about fear and how it has felt for you, how fear has manifested for you, and how fear has compelled you to do or not do something. Fear happens in our body and in our mind. Fear is all-encompassing for a human. We physically feel fear by getting hot, trembling, or uncomfortable. Fear will make us feel like we need to do something, whether that is run or scream or freeze up. Fear activates our entire mind and body. We know fear with thoughts and images that come to mind. What do you see when you think of something fearful or when you think of fear in a nutshell? Did you start feeling things when you started thinking and seeing fear in your mind? This combination of experiencing in both our mind and our body is what we call emotion. According to the American Psychological Association, APA, emotion is defined as a complex reaction pattern involving experiential, behavioral, and physiological elements. Emotions are how individuals deal with matters or situations they find personally significant. The difference between stress and fear is that stress is a physiological response where we have greater blood flow and higher heart rate. Our body responds to stress in biological ways, such as releasing cortisol, which is our stress hormone. During times of stress, your body can release the hormone cortisol. During stress, your body can also release its fight or flight hormones, such as adrenaline, so you continue to stay on high alert. In addition, the stress hormone cortisol triggers the release of glucose sugar, from your liver for fast energy during times of stress. If we are anxious often, which is an emotion, we typically experience chronic stress and the physiological response to it. Anxious people generally live in stress, and I mean this deep down in the body. We cannot have fear if we do not have several, if not all, of the stress responses but we can have stress without having fear. Why? Because stress is just a body response. Yes, it releases hormones in our brain. For something to be an emotion, which involves the mind and body, this means your mind is creating thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. So it is being cognizant. Automatically producing hormones is not what is meant by the mind in regards to the body. 
Releasing hormones is more so the nervous system. Fear is a total response with hormones, chemicals, thoughts, feelings, and action of some sort, even if it means immobility. So fear is all-encompassing and is an emotion. Anxiety is typically stress about a future event, not fear. We will dedicate an entire episode to anxiety, hopefully before the end of this year, 2022. We can't really have fear without seeing or observing or experiencing some of the elements of anxiety, but we can have anxiety without having fear. This is not to say anxiety and fear cannot go hand in hand. I surely experience great fears of going towards certain things because my anxiety is notifying me, not just my stress. What you're trying to realize is that fear is built up from certain basic elements that include stress and anxiety. And then there is trauma. And trauma also requires a specific definition. Taking a look at trauma, the definition can vary. The DSM-5 definition of trauma requires actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. That is intense trauma. Stressful events not involving an immediate threat to life or physical injury, such as a psychosocial stressor, so divorce or job loss, are not considered trauma in this DSM-5 definition. Obviously, trauma is not just about the most intense thing that could happen, which is us facing death. We can face and embody trauma by just having one really intense negative experience that has nothing to do with dying. Psychological or emotional trauma is damage or injury to the psyche after living through an extremely frightening or distressing event and may result in challenges in functioning or coping normally after the event. And that honestly is a lot of us whether we realize it or not. And that's why there's so much talk about trauma and intergenerational trauma, the passing on of trauma, is because we don't even realize how much our personality, behavior, moods, and beliefs have come from our past experiences. And honestly, a lot of our past experiences were from caregivers that didn't know what the heck they were doing. And so they made mistakes in ways that profoundly impacted us. And we get to all of this information, especially in the next episode of Trauma, where we super cover complex trauma, PTSD, and where the heck trauma really comes from in our day-to-day life. The operational definition of trauma is that some kind of fear took place, which of course includes stress and anxiety, and that fear somehow gets embodied or activated in our nervous system such that it shows up at times when it's maladaptive, which means it's useless, or if anything, we have now just done something embarrassing and inappropriate as an adult. Trauma can be maladaptive because this fear doesn't serve us well, and it gets reactivated at various times. For example, when we are trying to fall asleep or when we first wake up in the morning or when we are in the middle of a conversation. Even though we are no longer in the presence of the thing that frightened us deeply, we still suddenly have what feels like a panic attack and we are experiencing deep fear. This is post-traumatic stress 
or post-traumatic fear. The layering up of stress and anxiety create fear and trauma. So now that we've clarified fear, stress, anxiety, and trauma, let's look at what trauma does inside of our body, which is essentially the science of trauma, as well as we're going to really piece and parse what our fear system is and how trauma creates fear responses inside of us, which become our behaviors, which become who we are. It's important to understand where trauma comes from. It is equally as important to understand how trauma comes to be a part of us, how it impacts our nervous system, and what it is doing to us once trauma sets in. We are going to quickly talk about our ever-important autonomic nervous system, as well as our animal mind consisting of the amygdala. This might trigger you to think or feel like this is boring stuff, but I'm going to argue we have been taught to think helpful information is boring. If you want more engaging content, then follow my Instagram account, From Struggle to Success. As a natural artist and creator, I pushed away my scientific mind for almost 30 years. And I have a hell of a scientific mind. I've never been more happy and more comfortable now that I engage and enjoy both the sciences and arts of life. Information is power. Choose to collect as much power as you can in life. Don't ever push something away because you think it is boring or irrelevant. Always come to find out what that information is and then decide if it is useful for you. Threat and fear reflex exists to help us from dying and to help us from making really bad decisions. It just so happens that a number of things happened to us in the past that are not lethal and don't actually harm us, but still harm us from the inside. Trauma can embed into our body and create behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that do not serve us in our daily life. But we unconsciously do these things anyways because we are reacting in a way to keep ourselves safe, or so we think so. You may experience abuse as a child, and therefore as an adult, you may truly believe and feel that you are worthless and unlovable. These thoughts, feelings, and beliefs directly create what behaviors you choose in life. When we feel worthless, we could very much, and probably on accident, create a life that is worthless to ourself. It is important to override what our past handed to us and choose the better things in life to get what we need moving forward. You can overcome your past experiences and be more than what they made you believe about yourself or life as a whole. You are far more than what has happened to you. Trauma is not a single lane highway into our nervous system. Our nervous system may be better known as our mind and body. I want to point out how autonomic arousal relates to the aspects of our nervous system that we call the autonomic nervous system. Autonomic means automatic, which is somewhat of a misnomer because there are aspects of our autonomic nervous system that we can very much control via choices and leveraging our neurochemicals. Sound familiar? We talk about this all day, every day. Our autonomic nervous system controls things like digestion, urination, sexual behavior, stress when we want to be awake or asleep. 
The autonomic nervous system has two branches, and one is called the sympathetic autonomic nervous system. Think of the sympathetic nervous system as the alertness nervous system, and it's what ramps up your levels of alertness and ramps up your levels of vigilance. Think about it as the accelerator on your alertness and attention. It can be confusing because it's called sympathetic. So I've at least trained my brain to know that it is like a polar opposite to its truth. The sympathetic nervous system has no sympathy for the weak and revs everything up to get things going full speed. The parasympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system are the cells and neurons and chemicals and other aspects of your brain and body that are involved in the calming nervous system. Think of parasympathetic as pairing with the sympathy of life to calm down. I do. So sympathetic is alerting and parasympathetic is calming. And it acts as sort of a seesaw to adjust your overall level of alertness or your overall level of being. When we are contented, the autonomic nervous system seesaw is quite level. Sympathetic, we are a bit more awake, and parasympathetic, we're a bit more sleepy. Our fear system is made up of a few fundamental components of our brain. We have just talked about the autonomic nervous system. Very fundamental. Moving forward, I'm going to amazingly briefly mention the HPA axis and then touch on the popularly known amygdala. And you guys, when I learned about the HPA axis, it changed my entire life and I basically got rid of anxiety. So I'm going to talk a lot more about that in the anxiety episode. Here's my paragraph on HPA today. The HPA axis is fully known as the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The HPA has the ability to trigger the release or prevent the release of particular hormones like cortisol or the hormones that go stimulate ovaries to produce estrogen or testes to produce testosterone or adrenal for adrenaline. Think of the HPA as a control center of many important things. The HPA axis includes a piece of the brain, hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal. The system uses your brain to alert or wake up your body. Doesn't that sound a lot like the autonomic nervous system? They work together. The longer lasting component of our fear response can actually change not just the connections of different areas of the brain and the way that our organs work and how we breathe. Longer lasting fear responses can actually feed back to the brain and literally control gene expression, which can take many days and build out new circuits and new chemicals that can embed fear in our brain and body. Thankfully, this can always be leveraged and changed. We are not stuck with trauma and the response to fear for a lifetime. Nope. We can leverage our neural chemicals to undo the fear response, to extinguish the fear response and replace it with non-fearful associations. We will talk about healing and transforming trauma in the next trauma-dedicated episode for next week. You may have heard of the amygdala before. The amygdala is located in the medial temporal lobe just in front of the hippocampus. It's shaped like an almond. I think that's what amygdala means, almond. I'm not sure. Drop that in the comments. The amygdala is our threat reflex. We have already tried to envision it once today, And let's try for it again. 
It is important to conceptualize fear as including a reflex so much as you have reflexes that are physical. We don't just absorb fear. We respond to it in some way. Imagine being in a situation that makes you feel intense fear. How are you responding or behaving because of how you're feeling? Are you running, crying, shutting down, yelling, or maybe even becoming aggressive? The amygdala is the part of the threat reflex so much that we can really say that it's the final common pathway through, through which the threat reflex flows. In other words, the amygdala is essential for the threat response. But the threat reflex and the threat response is kind of a dumb response. It's not a sophisticated thing. It's very generic. And this is also a very important point. After all, our amygdala resides in our lower level animal mind where emotions and reactions more so come from. Our logical thought came later in life when our prefrontal cortex became a part of a human's brain for cognitive functioning. One of the beauties of the fear system is that it is very generalizable. Our fear system is not designed for you to be afraid of any one thing. The real capacity of the fear system is that we can become afraid of anything provided that this threat system is activated in conjunction with some external experience. The amygdala is not the fear center. It is a critical component of the threat reflex. The threat reflex system shuts down all the areas of calming, which is the parasympathetic system. When we are responding to fear, we cannot be calm because that is opposite end of our autonomic nervous system response. So let's look at what happens to our self-belief and the narrative or the story we carry every day after we've had a negative experience. So basically, what happens to how we think about ourselves in the world after trauma? Our fear response is not just in our brain. Remember, fear is both brain and body. Fear does all sorts of things to our nervous system, as previously discussed. But what more is, what does fear do to us internally? And how does this manifest externally into our real life, our daily life? Our fear response also includes the adaptive or arguably maladaptive approach to adopting a narrative, story, or belief based off of our negative experience. We attach narrative, attach meaning, and attach purpose to what is fundamentally a generic response to fear. There's no negotiating what fear feels like, right? There's only negotiating what it means to ourself. There's only negotiating whether or not you persist, whether or not you pause, or whether or not you retreat. And you can choose to override this deeply embedded yet generic internal system. This week we are talking about what trauma is and how it sets into our body, altering how we think, feel, and act. Next week, we will deep dive into what we do after trauma sets in, how to deal from trauma, and how an incredibly strong lifestyle success tool referred to as reparenting can transform our life and knock out what was not working for us in adulthood. First, we have to get to know trauma and what it really does inside of us. We cannot heal from things we do not know about. 
Knowledge is power and freedom. Our threat and fear reflex exists to help us from not dying and to help us from not making really bad decisions. Though many things in modern life that happen are not lethal, we still have intense experiences that leave our body feeling unsafe afterwards. Many things in modern life can harm us from the inside. We are mentally and emotionally susceptible to so many dangers and our biology has not caught up to the fact that we are not just animals trying to survive anymore. We are now cognitive human creatures trying to thrive in a technologically focused world. We may not be getting beat up in person, but we can get beat up time again in the online realm, for example. Our experiences, wherever and however they occur, can create fear and trauma if particularly negative. Some memories can be protective while other memories can be dangerous. This is our nervous system using our beliefs, thoughts, and feelings. This is why it is important to heal from trauma, squash negative self-talk, and create an unshakable self-belief as our experiences become memories that transform into thoughts, feelings, and actions. If we are carrying trauma, then we may carry the belief we have to say yes to everything because saying no results in not good things happening, and therefore we develop into a people pleaser or chronic yes-sayer. If we are carrying trauma, we may think we are worthless and therefore act in low-level ways, not supporting our own needs and welcoming low-level humans in because we do not believe or feel we deserve any better. Trauma can create codependency. Trauma can result in us not wanting to ever ride a bicycle again or eat a particular food. Trauma can even turn ourselves off to our own self. Sometimes our memories evoke a sense of fear in us in order to protect us from making bad mistakes or getting injured. Sometimes memories make sure we don't break a bone or poison ourselves. Dr. Ressler points out that memories become dangerous when they create a sense in us of discomfort and they set the limit of our behavior in ways that are maladaptive, preventing us from having healthy relationships with others, healthy jobs, and overall healthy self-supporting choices. We might be living in such a unique survival mode that we are never living a life aligned with our needs. Our needs do not reside in fear and trauma. If anything, our needs are hiding in the darkness and mess that is anxiety, trauma, stress, and fear. We must go towards what makes us uncomfortable if we ever want to feel different or better or have more in life. We have to challenge our autonomic state of being, become self-aware of the mechanisms inside of us, and leverage via making conscious choices that are within our lane. Remember, your lane is your solid life blueprint, and on either side of your lane, are your boundaries and standards. Fears become memories. Obvious or not, much of the fear system is a memory system. Fear is designed to embed a memory from a profound previous experience. Fear is designed to recall this memory and use it in such that the threat reflex is activated and there is anticipation of what might happen to us. Recall Pavlov's dog. Salivation will occur with the sound of a bell and food. Over time, the food is removed and the bell prompts salivation still. 
We are not like Pavlov's dog in regards to trauma and our fear response. Unlike Pavlov's dog, you do not need many, many pairings of an object with a stimulus in order to get a response. We do not need the same experience again and again to absorb the impact. For humans, it just takes one time with something deeply intense for it to affect us for a year on after and potentially a lifetime if it goes unaddressed. Humans can get one trial learning with fear. For trauma and fear, it is not about quantity. It is about quality, aka intensity. For many people, it just takes one intense experience for trauma to set in. One bad breakup, one bad experience during public speaking, one dangerous accident, one business error that costs it all, one serious body burn, or one experience with a pet snake or anything that deeply twists us up. Trauma is not just about war and then PTSD. Trauma is not just about abusive parents and then CPTSD. Trauma can come from any corner or hiding place in life and at any time. Seriously, we usually get one trial with negative experiences and then they become a part of us in some way. We can remember it and or we feel it when we're triggered. And we're going to talk about triggers in the next episode. Memories of the negative traumatic experience are troubling to feel and therefore we have a physiological response to the troubling. We react to trauma after all. And that is why we are referring to it as the fear response. Essentially, trauma gets wired into us as fear with one trial which is quite different than the other forms of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity being, of course, the nervous system's ability to change in response to experience. In regards to trauma, it just takes one experience, not a bunch. We typically do not get one trial learning with neutral or positive experiences. Non-negative experiences require gradual learning. How annoying is that? Like, let the good times roll. Think about a time when you became afraid. You could have also felt embarrassed or ashamed in this moment. Your heart rate increases and maybe you started to sweat. This experience was so negative that you now avoid all things that are even similar to it. Maybe when a child you terribly embarrassed yourself playing an instrument and now you avoid that instrument in entirety. Perhaps you tried to dance when young and were shamed because you were jumping around rather than grooving like a professional adult dancer. The aforementioned is indeed an experience I had as a kid. I had to deeply work through the shame of my mom yelling at me for not dancing the right way while playing around in our living room at age four. Thankfully, my body wanted to dance so much throughout development that my massive desire to dance helped me face my fears and move toward dance. So I moved toward my fear. I had to challenge myself by saying yes to dance when every part of me was screaming, no, do not ever dance again. There is too much shame and hurt with it. I rewrote what dance means to me and have absolutely reclaimed it as a healthy daily movement practice in adulthood. It's amazing how fear and trauma can keep us from the things that can bring us the most joy to ourselves. And in regards to dance, I have healed so many parts of my mental health or I've improved my mental health so much because of dance.
I have improved so much of my health because of dance and having a daily movement practice. And if I would have never faced my fears and moved toward that trauma experience my mom gave me at age four, I would have never have gotten all of the benefits and joys from dance and having that daily movement practice that truly has rewired me in so many healthy ways. This fear conditioning is one trial learning. It just takes one negative, fearful experience to change our behaviors in the future. Because we are keen to self-protect, of course. The fear system can also batch many different experiences and moments in time to create one specific fear. We can embody fear in two ways. In summation, we can take fear on in either embedded through narrative or through association of a particular event. The first way that we can take on fear is fear can be embedded through our top-down response, meaning we created and attached a narrative to it. We have thoughts, feelings, and beliefs about our experience that were created in our cognition-creating prefrontal cortex part of our brain. Our mind manufactured a fear, wrote a negative story about it, and then communicated it through our body. Our body can respond in healthy or unhealthy ways to this. The second way that we can take on fear is fear response can also be learned and associated with a particular event. It can take one thing or many things to create a fear or trauma in a human. Very basically how we learn fear is within neuroplasticity and down in the cellular level is the process of long-term potentiation. This is where we can strengthen a response over time and then it becomes a part of us. Long-term depression is the weakening of connections. And this is what happens when we extinguish or unlearn a fear. We're going to talk way more about this next week. So moving forward, what does it look like when trauma and fear manifest in adulthood? If we have experienced trauma in our life, whether childhood or adulthood, we are then unconsciously responding to it. Our response to trauma can include persistent fatigue, people-pleasing and being highly sensitive to others, sleep disorders, codependency, depression, nightmares, fear of recurrence, avoidant or obsessive behaviors, anxiety, as well as avoidance of emotions, sensations, or activities that are associated with the trauma, even if just slightly. A common symptom that arises from traumatic experiences is hyperarousal, also called hypervigilance. Hyperarousal is the body's way of remaining prepared. It is characterized by sleep disturbances, muscle tension, and a lower threshold for startle response and can persist years after trauma occurs. It is also one of the primary diagnostic criteria for PTSD. I absolutely live with hypervigilance, and I refer to it as hypervigilance and not hyperarousal. Most of my life, I was terrified to close my eyes at night. I can get paranoid, especially if my anxiety has already been unraveling for some time. I worry people are dangerous and become fearful of all other humans. I am on high alert at home, and I definitely know all of my exits when I am at any other place. And I am immensely aware of every little detail that is going on around me. I know everything that is always going on, everything is being said, everything that is being done because of my hypervigilance. My friends think I am an amazingly aware and careful human, 
but little do they know that these behaviors manifest from anxiety, fear, and complex trauma. I will say, more and more I am learning how to make this response of mine really work in adulthood. Hyperarousal is a consequence of biological changes initiated by trauma. Although it serves as a means of self-protection after trauma, it can be detrimental. Hyperarousal can interfere with an individual's ability to take the necessary time to assess and appropriately respond to specific input, such as loud noises or sudden movements. Sometimes, hyperarousal can produce overreactions to situations perceived as dangerous when, in fact, the circumstance is totally fine and safe. When I become overstimulated and therefore my nervous system is dysregulated, I will lash out like a lion at anyone or anything that seems like a threat to me. And this can include seemingly harmless statements or motions. It's because I'm wired in my hypervigilance to overreact or overrespond in maladaptive, overly protective ways. My mind and body are wired in my past experience and I play it out in real time in not good ways. I'm acting like an animal. I overcome this low level animal response by working on my emotional regulation and practicing better responses, which therefore set into my nervous system and reteach myself how to better respond for true safety and satisfaction in adult life. We are gonna super break down emotional regulation, triggers, and responding more appropriately in so many other episodes. Along with hyperarousal, sleep disturbances are very common in individuals who have experienced trauma. Sleep issues can come in the form of early awakening, restless sleep, difficulty falling asleep, nightmares, and full-blown insomnia. I majorly have struggled with sleep, and that is why I've come out with the Reclaim Your Life hour by hour ebook as well as totally lifestyle success course that's soon to be available because without sleep we cannot function the way we need to and if we have experienced negative things in our life they will affect our sleep whether we realize it or not sleep disturbances are most persistent among individuals who have trauma related stress i posit this very much as true because stress cortisol is a neurohormone that when activated doesn't allow us to live in the calmer part of our nervous system, our parasympathetic. Cortisol also is what wakes us up from sleep. It's literally the hormone that like squishes down and now we're, we're awake, time to wake up. It literally starts up our internal circadian clock for the day. And if you want to learn everything about what makes us tick and how to control your sleep, check out the first ever episode of From Struggle to Success or get the book, or do the course. Up to you, your choice. Highly sensitive people can be adults born from trauma, but also highly sensitive people can be children that experience trauma in adolescence. For those who were born with the trait of high sensitivity, there's an even greater susceptibility to being traumatized when there's a lack of sufficient emotional nurturing early in life. Emotional abuse and neglect usually go hand in hand with highly sensitive people. There are many people living life unaware they are highly sensitive people and or are living with trauma as well as responding to it. A strong example of the association with highly sensitive people and trauma is the following. All children need to feel safe to thrive. 
Most children can find a way to survive, though this can be very unfortunate. If you are highly sensitive, feeling safe can be even harder to achieve. When safety and comfort don't happen in your realm, and when there's nobody to show you how protected you are, this carries into the adult experience of life, as well as becomes complex trauma, CPTSD. Very soon, an entire episode will be dedicated to highly sensitive people, as well as living with hypervigilance. We have a lot to cover, don't we? Traumatic experiences can affect and alter our cognition. From the beginning of a negative experience, trauma challenges the just world we once thought existed and shakes up our core life assumptions that help us navigate daily life. For example, it can be difficult to leave the house in the morning if it is believed that the world is not safe, that all people are dangerous, and that life holds no promise. That is not just depression and lack of motivation. That is deeply ingrained way of living based off of your fear response to trauma. Traumatic events, particularly if they are unexpected, can challenge our entire belief system and how we feel about the world and or ourself. One way to begin overriding unhelpful and damaging beliefs is to embody the new belief that one's efforts and intentions can protect oneself from bad things which makes it less likely for an individual to perceive personal vulnerability. Come to know yourself as the force to be reckoned with rather than being forced to feel certain ways that do not serve you. Don't let life knock you around. You can always take back control even if it feels worlds away from possibility. Don't let your feelings control your reality. You choose the internal and external world you live in. It just takes consistent effort. It is always up to us. We always have control, even if it seems like we have lost it. It has never truly slipped from our grasp, just quite possibly far from our perception. If you want to learn even more, check out the blog, where you can also find recommended products and supporting links in every blog post. You can also enjoy two free lifestyle success courses, as well as other options to upgrade your life on the website. All the best today, Beeb. You got this. This is Breezy signing off from another episode of From Struggle to Success.